great journey going through the book of 1 John. And how's everyone doing today? You glad to be here today? Everybody glad to be here today? I'm excited about being here today too. There's a lot of places you could be worshiping today. We're grateful that uh, you chose Grace Community. A special day for me, uh, some in-house family kind of stuff. You know the story I've told through the years of the sister that hit me upside the head with a croquet mallet? She's here today for the first time. So, uh, yeah, thank, thank her. <laughs> my sister Kim and my brother-in-law Mark are here from Maryland, first time with us. And uh, so you can thank her, because how many times have you wanted to hit me with a croquet mallet? Um, but we're excited about this series because it's been challenging. Uh, and, and if you haven't been challenged, either you've slept through six messages or uh, you're one tick away from dying. Um, but this message, this series has been very, very challenging. And today, John is going to address this truth, that there are messengers out there. There are people who proclaim to be Christ followers that are giving this message that we better test it and make sure it's the truth. And so today's message, and as I've told you on many occasions, even in this series, hey, when I say something, you take it home. You make sure it lines up with the Spirit of God. You go to your Bibles and you dig in. You make sure it lines up because you are responsible for the information that you receive. Not that I'm going to lead you astray purposely or have any intent to. I work hard at lining up with God's Word, but that's our responsibility. We should probe the truth. We should see if what is being said, John is saying, is truth. Whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's something that you heard from a father, a mother, a friend, a co-worker, whether it's something that you've read, whether it's something you listen to on the radio, a podcast, whether it's a blog that you read, John is saying, be very careful. Make sure you probe the truth. Make sure you test the truth to make sure it lines up with God and God's word. Because if you don't test the product, you're not certain if it's legitimate or has the validity of truth in it. As a kid... Um, we lived in a, a, a country house in, um, in Maryland, and it collected water. We didn't have a well to dig in the ground and get our water from. We had what you would call a cistern. My kids aren't familiar with what cisterns are, and I tell people that's why I have this extra hand growing on my head, all the water that we drank out of this cistern. But as a kid, the water would come on the roof when it would rain, and it would run down the roof, and it would collect in the eaves troughs and the spoutings, run down a downspout, and then it would like collect in this concrete bunker that was in the bottom of our house. Basically, that's all it is. Now, and, and so that water was used for a variety of things. It was used for uh, washing clothes. It was used to drink. It was used to take baths in. So the very water that came off the roof, and began to think what was in that water. Where do birds normally perch at when they're sitting on? I mean, so when you begin to think, don't think too hard, because you would think, how did I ever survive? But in any case, think about all that water that was collected into this cistern. And so it had all kinds of things in it, floating mice on top, you know, spider webs, bird feathers, and then they had like this protective filter system. It was like two pieces of charcoal. That'll take care of it. Like somehow that took care of it. In any case, so that we didn't always drink that water, we would often go and collect some water from an underground spring that was down the road from us. And so we would hop in the station wagon, the country squire, and we'd ride down and we'd take these deposits that are water containers. And, and we would go to this place where water somehow came like it came out of the ground. Like I remember as a kid, that's just awesome. And so there it was. It was cold and it was fresh. And so we would take our containers and we'd fill up these containers with this spring water. Like, like somehow that water came out of the ground was better. And and so we would take it home, and, and, and on many occasions, that was our drinking water. Like, that was tested to be better for us. And so no one really tested it, but they just said it was better because it came out of the ground. I remember one time coming home from college, I was driving back, coming down uh, 70 and jumping on 40 and heading home. It was a late night, and it was when I was a grace student, I was coming the back roads, and I rode by, and I noticed there was this place that we used to collect spring water from, like, Still underground water, like still the same trees. It wasn't farmed, and, but it had this big round sign with like one of those lines through it that said contaminated. Like, and I thought, that explains a lot. That, that, that explains a lot. But someone had tested the water and said, don't drink the water. It's contaminated. Well, for, for many, many, many years and many, many, many people, 
They would come to that water gathering spot and drink it, thinking that it was spring water. It was good for it, but no one ever tested it. But after it was tested, it was proven that it was contaminated water. Somehow I survived that, and praise God for that. Somehow I survived that. John is telling us to do the very same thing with words that you hear. With a messenger given a message. He says, you better test it to make sure it holds up and lines up with God's word. You better test it and make sure it lines up with, with Jesus. You better test it. Because if you don't test it, he said, you could be led astray. Grab your Bibles and I'm going to show you what I mean. And turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 6. If you need a Bible today, hold your hand up or ushers will put one in your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, it's our gift to you from Grace Community Church. But hold your hands up and we're going to read this out loud together. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 to 3 to begin. And we'll look at verses 4 to 6 also. Stand with me and let's read God's word out loud together. 1 John chapter 4. We'll read from the new NIV. 1 John chapter 4. Verses 1 to 3. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You may have a seat. John is saying this, basically. There is a battle for truth in your life, and you and I should battle for truth. Two things immediately jump out when I look at this passage. Two things jump out. The first thing that jumps out are the two words that are placed side by side. Do not. And every time when I read God's word, anytime I read do not, like I stop and say, all right, Jim, you better listen. Because if God says do not, you better do not. And so look what it says. Look what it says. It says, dear friends, do not, what's the next word? Believe every what? Spirit. But do what to the spirits? Test them. So the first thing I notice in the Bible is, is this, that we better test and we better do not believe because we could be led astray. It also assumes another truth, that some will believe and some are believing otherwise. And he says, hey, I know there's some here that are, are believing. Otherwise, if he didn't think that was the case, why would he write a letter to people that he loved and say, hey, do not believe? Because he knew that some had or that there was a messenger in the camp that was giving the wrong word. So he tells us to that original audience, do not believe. And guess what? Let's go 2,000 years later, Grace Community Church. Do not believe everything you heard. You better test the spirits and test the messenger. Another truth that I see right away is this. Is that we can, we can only know if we test what we've heard. Like, you just can't just test it without testing it. Like, someone's got to stick the, the, take a litmus test to the water and say, something's wrong with it. Someone's got to say, hey, hold this up against God's word to determine whether or not it's truth. It must be foolproof. Or a better way that we would say in modern language is this. Don't believe everything you hear. And, and let, let me just say this way. Don't believe everything you read on Facebook. Holy cow. You know, there is a place called Snopes.com. Like, like, like once a week, please go there before you like forward or repost something. Like before you go there and repost that, that, that um, there's this chip that's going to be implanted in people's heads and hands. And, and the Antichrist, yes, he is coming and he could be here. And I believe in my day that the rapture will occur. But listen to me. Make sure you gather your information to see that there's truth to it. Some of us listen too much to other people, and we don't test it. In fact, here, here's Snopes, top 25. Like, I'm just going to give you some random thing. This is August the 24th. Here are things that people believe that are true that Snopes has verified. They've tested. Warning. Like, here it is. Like, if you're a Facebook junkie, here it is. 
Warning, the Facebook Messenger app requires user acceptance of, manly, of privacy and it's violating your condition and it's going to take your money, take your bank, and take everything. Like, how many of you said, oh, I'm dropping Facebook app? Have you researched it? Or are you just believing it? Well, I encourage you to research it. Or this one, that the minimum drinking age is going to be 25 in the year 2015. Well, it's not true. Or, or, or that there were arm amputations caused by tug of war. Like, <laughs> it's out there. I've seen it reposted. Or, there's a report that Coca-Cola is recalling millions of bottles of Coke with the name Michael on the label. I actually saw that. Bogus. Now, here's, here's one that's been floating around, too. Like, this is top 25 Snopes today. There's, there's been mermaids that have been found with bodies. An Animal Planet documentary purportedly reveals the existence of mermaids. Now, listen, please, please. Don't repost that stuff. Now, here's one of my favorites, top 25 of Snopes.com. Regarding head and shoulders shampoo. Anybody use head and shoulders? There's a video clip out there purportedly shows the harmful effects of using head and shoulders shampoo. Warning that if you continue to use it, all of your hair would fall out. Then you don't have dandruff. (laughs) This stuff's unbelievable. John is saying this. I just want to say, holy cow, please, before you retweet, before you favor, before you repost, before you sell your, your, your house and move to a mountain and, 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 and build a bunker, make sure you test the information that you've gotten. John is saying you better test the truth. Don't believe everything you hear. Here's what I know to be true. Sin distorts your ability to clearly test the spirits. Now, this is critical because you and I are Christ followers who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we could be in a place in our relationship with God because of a hardening of our hearts and because of a habitual pattern of sin or a secret sin that no one knows about. We could be wearing a mask that says, I got it all together. When, when, when we're all by ourselves, there's this sin. And because the sin is in our life, you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us this, that that sin can quench the spirit or it can grieve the spirit. First Thessalonians 5.19 says that you and I can quench the spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says that we can grieve the spirit. So John is saying, but, but wait a minute. We need to test the spirits. Listen, you can't test with a grieved spirit and a quenched spirit. You got to address that first. So what's it mean to quench the spirit, by the way? Quenching means to satisfy or to put out a fire. In other words, we try to find something to satisfy us. And so we have this thirst and we try to quench it. And when we quench the spirit, we reach for the wrong truth to satisfy us. To put out a fire, you could use contaminated water to put out a fire. And John is saying, hey, be very, very careful to test the spirits. Because Paul says in, in his writings this, you better check and make sure that the tester, which is the spirit that lives in us, is clean. Because if that filter isn't clean, then you won't be able to test and approve what is godly, what is truth. Right now, there are Christians who have quenched and grieved the spirit and are being deceived, John is saying. So how do you know if you've quenched or grieved the spirit? Where's the evidence for that? I think it's real simple if you ask me. This is how I examine my own life. The Bible tells us that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If there's any of those areas in my life or your life that's out of whack, guess what? You're not walking in the spirit. There's sin in your life. 
in my life. And so what we need to do, John has already said in 1 John 1, 9, what did he say? He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which clogs the filter, quenches the spirit, grieves the spirit. Let me ask you a personal question. When you arose this morning, what's one of the first things that you did? Did you just take time and say, God, just in case there's something in my life and Maybe it was an attitude I went to bed with. Maybe, maybe it was something that was in my life yesterday. Maybe it was this morning. Did, did you arise and say, Lord, spirit that lives inside of me, expose this part of my heart that, that is sinful? And did you confess it to God? Confess means to speak back the very same words. See, if we don't do that, and there's a pattern of not doing that, what we're doing is saying we're quenching the Spirit. And guess what can happen? We can't even test the Spirit because we have contaminated the Spirit that lives in us. So, does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control reign in your life? You know an area that we don't often address when it comes to The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, self-discipline. Do you realize that overeating can quench the Spirit? Got real quiet in here. Do you realize that when you don't have self-control in your eating habits, you are quenching and grieving the Spirit? Some might say, well, I'm just not self-disciplined. And I want to say, oh, yes, you are. The Spirit of God lives in you, and the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Do you see why John is saying this to us and to the, the listeners of that day? He said, we need to regularly confess our sins because one area can get us on the tracks of destruction. Be careful. Be very careful who you're listening to. And he says this. Here's what he says. Look again. Here's, here, here's the test that needs to happen. Look at verse 2. He says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Verse 2. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the what? flesh is from God. But every spirit does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So we can't just look at someone's life and say, wow, I love how they love one another. I love how they're kind to one another. I love how they live out their faith. I love the family values they have. I love their work ethic. I love how they're good stewards of money. That's not the things, because you and I could be doing those very things, and we could be believing a lie. Let me give you an example. I think some of the kindest people that I know, some of the people who have the most or the best family values that I know, like some of the people that, probably live out in such a way to loving one another better often than Christians do are Mormons. Like, I know some Mormons. Some of the dearest people that I know. Yet John says, we better test the spirit. We better test the truth. And so a test says this. Do you realize if you open up a Mormon belief system, do you realize that they don't believe in original sin? Do, do, do you realize that, that they don't believe that the, the sin of Adam is transmitted right down through every other man that goes, the seminal passing down that takes place? Do you realize that they don't believe that the original sin begins, that there's no original sin? Do you realize that, that they don't believe that God is spirit, that they believe that God is flesh and God is the God the Father has is body? Do you realize if you read their readings that they would never say, we would say God is spirit? They would say, God the Father is body, is flesh. No, 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 no. I want to say, oh, no, no, no. That's not what the Bible said. You see, we need to go back. We need to go back to the word of God, hold it up against authority, and say, this is the authority. What does the word of God say? Do you realize that Mormons believe that you and I, if we were Mormons, could achieve Godhood on planet Earth? Like, we could become like God? Now, listen. That is nowhere to be found in Scripture. There's only one God. And he resides in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You and I will never be God. Never. Keep in mind here that sometimes the messenger of these supposed truths looks very convincing. Paul addresses that. Keep your finger here and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's address this. Paul says, hey, they, they could look very convincing, 
But remember this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And look at verses 13 to 15. Look what it says. Paul says this. He says, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. Then he says in verse 14 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, And no wonder, for Satan himself, what does he do? Masquerades as an angel of what? Light. Then he says, it is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be their actions will be what their actions deserve, which is hell. The point is this is some people can look very convincing, but they could be the devil dressed in righteous acts clothes. Here's what I know to be true about John saying here. It only takes one little piece of information to be partial truth. And when one little piece is out of whack, it whacks the whole thing. It puts the whole wrench in truth. Like we can't say, well, it's, it's, it's 70% true, so I'm going to believe him. If it's not 100% foolproof, it doesn't line up, if it doesn't line up completely with, with what God's word is, then throw it out. Let me give you an example. In my hand, I, in my hand, I have a, a water bottle, which is good drinking water. So if I were to open it up and drink it, you would be willing to drink it because it's clean. It's like we know that this is good. This is water. So it's 100% water as best as we know. Like there's nothing wrong with it. But when it goes south is when we take some ether and kind of like spray in this water. Let's just... Kind of, Let's just. Now, looking at this water, it looks drinkable. It looks like cistern water, doesn't it? I mean, it just, it looks good. If I shook it up. Here, Scott, here's some water for you. You want to drink this? It looks clean, doesn't it? I mean, it has the appearance like it masquerades as clean drinking water. John says, be very careful because the outside could look very, very, very good. But what's coming from the inside could kill you. And all it takes is one little bit of misinformation or mistruth. And it taints all of it. Let me tell you something. In the world that we live in today, the world that we live in today, Satan is working really hard at masquerading himself to, to make people believe that this is truth. Remember what I said a few weeks ago? Many will be left out and tossed into hell because of them believing a lie. So John says, if they refuse to say that he was born, that he was flesh. And walked on planet. If you ever hear anyone say, listen, if they say that, that Jesus wasn't born to a virgin. That Jesus wasn't born on, on earth. That Jesus didn't walk on earth. That Jesus wa- wasn't flesh that was on planet earth. That he didn't come in to incarnate form. He says, don't listen to him. Because that's not true. Because all we have to do is open up the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we see evidence. All you have to do is even read Herodias, or you could read Josephus in history, they even record that Jesus walked on earth. So John said, be very careful what you listen to. Test the spirits. Test them. But here's the problem. Some of us can't do the test because we are so entrenched in sin. Like our filter literally is clogged. Like there's no way to fix it. At our home, if you came to our home and we have a refrigerator, it's a side by side refrigerator. On one side of the refrigerator, you can get ice and you can get water. So it's nice. Also, if you open up the door where, uh, where on the right side, you go down the bottom and there's a place on the bottom where a filter goes in. It's about this long and it costs $475. (laughs) Serious, ridiculous what these things cost. And at the top of my refrigerator, our refrigerator is a light. And the light at the top, when it's green, it means you can drink the water. Like, 
It's being filtered. Like, it's safe. It's been tested. Like, this filter is working. Then it has this, this, this other light. that it turns The same light, it turns orange. Like, caution. Like, like, what's that mean, by the way? Like, it's like partially clean? Like, and then if it turns red, don't drink the water. At this point, it's like, I drink cistern water my whole life, but like, like this is going to hurt me? And it also has this little feature on it. And if you read it, it says, if you want to get rid of the red light and go back to green, press rapidly seven times. So you know what I do? I'm saving $475. John is saying this. And Paul is saying, you better test. You have a filter called the Holy Spirit. But if that filter has been quenched, if that filter has been grieved, then you can't make the test. And John says, you better confess your sins so that you can tell whether something is true or isn't true. Here's some things that stop me in my tracks when I hear. Let me tell you some of the practices that I have. When I listen to a podcast, when I listen to someone speak, when I read a book, when I'm reading a blog, when I am taking in information, one of the very first things I do is this. It's a practice of mine. Holy Spirit, number one, please, if there's anything in my life, if there are, show me the sins, and there's tons of them, show me. I confess my sins. I ask for forgiveness. I get my heart ready, and then I say this. Holy Spirit, please, do what you're good at. Discern. Don't let anything in me that shouldn't be there because my days are numbered and I don't want to waste them. So I have this practice. I ask the Holy Spirit before I read a book, before I listen to a podcast, before I listen to someone talk to me. And often, if you ever see me like my lips are moving and you're talking to me, that's what I'm doing. Holy Spirit, let me discern truth. Holy Spirit, be the discerner of truth. Here's a practice that I personally have when it comes to trying to discern truth. If I hear something that seems too complex, like, like I, I pause and say, wait a minute, why would God make that theology so complex that a normal person born in Maryland couldn't understand it? And if it's too complex, you know the first thing, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like a warning sign. It's like filter, filter, filter. Like if they're trying to give me something like that like I need to be a rocket scientist to understand then if it's too complex, it's a filter for me. I pause and I check it and I check it and I check it and I check it. Another thing when it comes to discerning truth, things that stop me in my tracks, does it leave me confused? Like after hearing it, like, do you ever go like, you probably do that on Sunday mornings. If I verbalize underneath my mouth and say something like this, what in the world was that? You know who the author of confusion is? Who is he? Satan. There might be someone presenting truth, and if it seems so confusing, listen, in my mind, red light, and I don't press it seven times to get it back to green. If there's this nauseous feeling in my gut, like if I hear someone say something or I'm reading something, like I've, I've learned through the years, like that's, that's the spirit speaking to me. Like, Ann and I will pray, and we'll pray, is God leading us to do this, or God leading us to do that? Is this the direction? It's like, after being in conversation with someone, if there's like this nauseous, like, like I feel like I'm going to throw up, I've learned that that's the Spirit of God saying no. And so I look for that. Like, if it seems too good to be true, now, there is something that seems too good to be true, and it's salvation in Jesus Christ, and it is as good as it says it is. It's free. But if it seems too good to be true, like if someone says like, hey, you give this $10 seed and you'll have a Rolls Royce next week. Whoa. Like, okay, Holy Spirit, show me. And I'll be looking at all 66 books and I'm not going to find that. If there's an accusing spirit of the messenger, like if someone's giving me information and I feel this spirit of accusation or almost like condemnation, have you ever sat with someone who's like, man, I just need to take a shower. It's like, like, man, like after they leave, it's like, just want to jump in the shower. Like if there's a spirit of condemnation, I pull away and say, well, wait a minute. Because my Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to us. 
if there's a pious spirit in delivering this, and by the way, let, 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 me, let me just say something about this. Sometimes humility can be disguised as godliness. Boy, she's such a humble person. He's such a humble man. That's got to be true. You, by the way, don't dare think that the enemy himself won't masquerade as a humble servant. Is there a pious spirit involved? Like, is that the most important voice? Here's another thing that stops me in my tracks when trying to discern and test the spirits. Does the life of this person match the words that are spoken? Like, you know how you find out? What are they posting on Facebook? Oh, I love Jesus. I'm all in. I'm on mission. And man, you know, and, and it's like, well, what about that? <laughs> what photos are they being tagged in that they quickly delete? Does this word have the spirit of gossip to it? And it begins like this. When I hear someone say, hey, hey, Pastor Jim, you need to know this. Okay. And, I, and often I say, now, this, is this about someone? Then you need to go talk to that person. Or someone comes to me and says, you know what? The spirit of God told me that you should do this. And I often say, okay. Do you think that the spirit can act in unity, that the same God that came to you could talk to me too? So I'm going to ask him to talk to me about that. But if I don't hear from him, then maybe he wanted you to do that and not me to do that. Or after hearing a conversation, do I just say, something's wrong with that? I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have been in conversations with people, either she or I walk away, and often I'll say, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's not, someone's not being honest. Or if there's no peace about it. You see, some of us just take information in, and we just say, that's truth, that's truth, that's truth. John's saying, test the spirits. Test the messenger. Let me also say, share some things that pull us away from holding to the truth and doing the right thing. Like, here are things that keep us from doing what's right. Our feelings. Like, they're so unreliable, aren't they? No, they're just so reliable. Aren't our feelings, like, so reliable? And here's what happens. Some of us make life-changing decisions based upon our feelings. Don't dare do that. What are some other things that pull us away from holding to the truth and doing the right thing? Friendships. I've seen this happen over and over and over. Powerful pull. Because we cling to what is familiar. Like, she believes this, and she thinks we should do this. He believes this. He thinks we should do this. And what I've seen happen is these groups of people, these individuals that are pulled because their friends believe something. Instead of saying, wait a minute, what does God's word say? What is the spirit, by the way, the best teacher in the whole world lives inside of us. He's called the Holy Spirit. What does he say? I've also seen other things that pull us away from doing the truth. Misplaced passions. Have you ever seen people have passions like, like you're spending your life like collecting four-leaf clovers? Like, like I've seen people obsessed with stuff that has no eternal significance to it. When the call on our life is to, to make disciples. Go ye therefore and make disciples. Like that's our mission. Like every day we wake up, that's what we should be doing. No, I like four-leaf clovers, Pastor Jim. Come here, let me show you my collection. And I put them in wax paper. Look at that one. Well, look at this one. Can you tell the difference? No, they got four leaves and they're green. That's what I see. Other things that keep us from doing the truth. Pressure from others. The fear of disappointing a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a coach, a pastor, a teacher, a friend, a boss, a co-worker. John says, be very careful, Christians. So how do you discern truth? What's been your MO? Well, he said it. It must be true. 
John says, no. And you've heard me say, test me against Scripture. When you leave here, ask the Holy Spirit. And before you get here, ask the Holy Spirit. Cleanse your hearts and say, teacher, the master teacher, Holy Spirit. When Jim speaks, do I sense any of these things? John says, we are equipped to know the truth. Look at verse 4 through 6. He says this, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. Then he says this in verse 6, we are from God, Grace Community Church. And whoever knows what, what's the word? God listens to who? Us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Reliance on the Holy Spirit is the secret of all victory, whether over heresy or any other snare. But listen to me, please, please listen to me. That is the secret, but that secret can be quenched. That secret can be grieved. So make sure the filter has been cleaned. And John tells us here, one of my favorite verses in scripture, and I've quoted it over and over again, and you have too. Greater is he that's in me than he's in the world. Like, I speak that, I know that truth, and the reality is that is true. That gives us promised victory. But listen to me. You're not gonna be victorious with a quenched spirit and a grieved spirit. And John is saying, victory is yours for the taking because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You have the ability, not on your own do deeds, but on the power of Christ to, to determine and test what is true. And you can snuff out the enemy's arrows thrown your way again and again and again and again. We can be victorious because of Christ in me. Is that good news, by the way? It's great news. So, whether I turn to the left or right, Isaiah 30, 21 says, my ears will hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. The Holy Spirit is our GPS of our lives. That's why it's imperative that we walk in love for one another and not the world, John said. The only way you know truth is by spending time with the author of truth. John has stressed over and over again that many have drifted from the truth of God's word. And if you continue to live with patterns of secret sins and no desire to change for years on years on years, John said, you better ask this question. Am I truly a follower of Jesus Christ? I didn't say that. John said that. You got to spend time with the author of the truth. Like, if we want to know God and you want to be able to determine whether it's truth or not, you got to know the truth. I'll confess, I love the History Channel, and I like watching Pawn Stars. Just do. Go ahead and judge me. I don't care. I like watching it. I like the Harrison family. In fact, on occasion, I've prayed for their salvation. You have Rick Harrison. You have the old man. I'm not saying out of disrespect. That's what they call him. You have Corey, the son, and you had Chumley. Everybody likes Chumley. And if you've ever watched this show on TV, I like it because I can learn from it. Rick, who is the father of Corey and the son of the old man, is a prolific reader of history. Like, if you ever watch the show, what does he spend the majority of his time? He's sitting at his desk and he's reading. In fact, his son makes fun of him. Chumley makes fun of him. His dad makes fun of him. Like, he's like a walking trivia machine. Like, so when stuff comes in and they, they try to, like, to, to, to stump him, they can't because all he does is read, 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 read. It's like, so something comes in, he reads, and if someone he doesn't know, he brings in an expert. Did you ever watch him when an expert comes in? He's like leaning in and listening, like, like he's taking it in. 
See, he can, he can pick out a fake. He can say, that's not true. Like, here's truth. And John is saying, the only way we'll know truth is by getting close to the author of truth. And the only way we can do that is by reading the book. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you have a regular reading pattern for God's word? Do you spend time daily in God's word? You see, if we don't, John says, we could be deceived. By the way, the enemy is crafty, and he doesn't show up with a pitchfork and horns on his head in a red devil suit. Like, like you're not going to see, like, a messenger that masquerades itself coming up and say, hey, I'm the devil, follow me. No, they're going to be kind, they're going to be charming, they're going to be intelligent, they're, they're going to be able to woo the masses, and, and they're, they're going to love you, and they're going to care for you, and, and, and they're, they're going to move into your neighborhood, and they're going to bring you rise and roll donuts when you move in, and it's just like, or crumpies from Hagerstown. I mean, they're, they're going to come in, and you're like, man, those neighbors, they look great. It's not going to be the neighbor that everyone hates. Like, it's not going to be the neighbor that never takes care of his yard, like has all the dandelions, and you get all the in your yard. You know, it's not, it's not going to be the neighbor that has a dog that poops in everybody's yard. That's not, Satan's not going to come masquerading. He's going to be the guy, like, when you're on vacation, he's going to mow your lawn, and he's going to put the stripes in it, you know, just like. And you'll come back, and he's going to say, hey, I mowed you, your lawn while you're away. And while you're away, I even, I even, I even powered brushed your siding. Just, I, I, I love you. Satan's going to come masquerading himself in such a way. He's not going to show up and say, hey, I'm the devil. It is vital that you spend time in the book so that you know the truth. Some of the mistruths that we believe as Christ followers, sometimes I just shake my head. Like, where did you hear that from? Like, it, well, I saw it on Facebook, so it must be true. Like, here's a classic one for Christians. God would never give you more than you can handle. That is the biggest lie from the pit of hell. Yeah, you've heard me talk on that. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Well, just want to let you know when you're going through something, God would never give you more than you can handle. Like they just lost a kid or they, 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 they lost a limb or they, they, they've been given this sickness and you have this real compassionate person that walks along and say, by the way, just want to let you know, God would never give you more than you can handle. Like what? Didn't Paul say that he was overwhelmed to the point of death, that death seemed like the best option? And why, is, why does God allow these things in our lives that are more than we handle? But here's why. Because those are the times that we run to Abba Daddy and hold on. Here's the problem with most of us. We spend more time listening to Rush Limbaugh, NPR, the Drudge Report, reading the Newsweek or the Goshen News or the Alcar Truth or Outdoor Life and the CNN than we do the Word of God. It is impossible to know truth better without spending time in the truth book. Isn't that what Psalm 119 says? In verse 105, it says, the Word is like a light. It shows us where to get to God and who to trust. Jeremiah 23, 29 is one of my favorite passages. It says the word of God is like a fire. And it says the word of God is a hammer. It's like dynamite. It blows up rocks. Ooh, I love that. I like dynamite and I like blowing up. It says that's what, that's what the word of God is like. The word of God is a hammer. Bam, bam. It just shatters misbeliefs. It just crushes it. Psalm chapter one, verses two and three tells us that he who meditates regularly in the word of God will be a fruitful tree, prospering in all he does. Psalm 119, 103 tells us that we should, that the, word of, the words of God are sweet and tasteful and we should eat them. In other words, if we don't read it, we don't take it in, we're undernourished, we're malnourished. And there are so many of us who are malnourished. Some of us say, some of us used to, like when we first got saved, it's like, do you remember like when you got saved? Like, Man, that was an awesome event because you know what you were and now God lives in you. Some of us now have been saved for so long, we forget what we've been saved from. Isn't that why the word of God says, Paul says, to keep up your spiritual fervor? It takes work. Look at 
Look closely what John says here. It's not what they are doing that you should be concerned with necessary, but what they are saying. Verse 6 is very convicting to me because it says, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Have you ever tried to speak the truth into someone's life and have him or her say, well, that might be true for you, but I don't think it's true for us. Have you ever had that? Like, you're like, well, where'd you get that from? Or have you ever had someone who once seemed to follow God, had a form of godliness, only to now be far from God? I watch this happen all the time in these kind of situations. Like, you see this person who has a form of godliness, like, is seemingly on, on fire for God. Like, a single girl or a single dude, like, like they want to meet someone. So the best place to meet someone, I believe, is a local church. So they start coming back to church, and you see them showing up. They're showing up for pursuit. They're showing up for prayer encounter. They're showing up for blitzes. They're volunteering children's ministries. I mean, they're doing everything. Like, they keep showing up, and they're showing up to find someone. And then when they find Susie, like, they leave. I found what I needed. You see, if your motive isn't to follow Christ first and be more like him, you can be led astray. And then you see these couples, like, they, 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 they meet, and it's like, all of a sudden, like, I, there's people that come to mind, like, around, it's like, I, I remember sitting with them and praying with them and just saying, oh, this is, this is the person you need to become. And now I look at them, and they're living together and having sex together before marriage. It's like, where did you get that from? You didn't get it here. Because that's called S-I-N, Sin. Have you ever seen someone who's lost a job and want help and they run back and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get that job only to fall back into old habits and get sucked into the crowd once the job appears? Have you ever seen someone when things are going good, they're praising God, but when all hell breaks loose, they are nowhere to be found? Like they think God's an ATM machine? Have you ever seen parents raise their kids in the church, but once the kids are raised, they walk away? Because it wasn't their faith, it was their parents' faith they were relying on. I watch this happen all the time in youth group. Like, kids grow up, and about 11th and 12th grade, they kind of disappear. Like, they're no longer in youth group because they got jobs, and they got this, and they, they start dating, and we got to go out, and this is the night to do this. And then, then I watch these same kids, like, they go off to college, and, like, they're not chasing after Jesus. Why? Because it wasn't important to them. Or have you ever seen children, Christian children, raised in homes with parents that ran them all over creation for band and sports and arts and prioritized that over worship in the local church and over youth group, only to find their college kids and going to bedside Baptist every Sunday now when they're in college? Why? Because mom and dad never prioritized. They showed by their actions, and John says, our actions and not words. John says, you'll know if he's a Christ follower because the Spirit will test it and you will listen and act upon it. Remember why John wrote this book? 1 John 5, 13 says he wrote this book. Look at, here's, here's why the book was written. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 says this. I write these things to you, Grace Community Church, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have what? Eternal life. So why is this so important to us today? Like, why is this, me- why, why is this message so important to us? Because John is saying, you might be getting off course and being swayed by a friend or a mistruth. And John is saying, you and I will one day stand before Jesus and there will be no second chances at the Bema seat. And John is saying this, your days are numbered. This could be your last. And that passage in scripture talks about our days being numbered. It's the word in the original means they're contracted. Like, you had a contractor said, I'll be there. I'm contracted for 30 days to teach. It means there's, when it comes, when that contract is over, God has contracted the number of days in our lives. And listen, when God is finished with what he wanted, intended to do with you, you and I, were done. And by the way, today could be that day. So why is this important to us today? Because the world needs Jesus and you are the best chance to show them. That's why we call it light it up. Listen, if the world can't see something different about us and it sees in the world, then why in the world would they want what we have? 
all through the Bible, like the whole Testament, whole way through the New Testament. His conversation in our small group, Mike Riley brought up some really good thoughts that he had come across, and we're sitting in our small group, and just think about this for a second. All through the Bible, Jesus was on a mission. God was on a mission to rescue people. Now, just think about it. He was on a mission. The reason at the heart of God, the closer you get to him, is, is a God who's on mission. He came to seek and save those who were lost. So in the Old Testament, he had prophets and priests and kings, and, and he kept saying, hey, the Messiah is coming. Hey, the rescuer is coming. So they had all these sacrifices, like these unblemished uh, animals that they, w- they would sacrifice, and they said, now take the blood from that and, 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 and put it on your sins, like cover your sins, because there will come a day when a real sacrifice comes, a perfect sacrifice. So every time that they had a sacrifice, it was reminder, there's coming a day that a real, real sacrifice will come, where the Messiah will come. So whole way through the Old Testament, God was saying, listen, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming to rescue. So, I mean, thousands and hundreds of thousands of altars, hundreds and thousands of sacrifice saying, I, I want to rescue lost people. So finally, God, his next plan was, I'm going to send the Messiah. So he sent Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came, and he walked on planet Earth, and we know what happened. He went to the cross, and he was the perfect sacrifice. Like, Jesus said, this is my plan. Now, now they'll believe. Like, I'm sure everyone that, that knew that he was coming, like, I, here he is. I told you he was coming. Like, in God's mind, like, here, that's the best I can offer. You would think, like, he said he was coming. There he is. And everyone say, oh, I believe now. But Jesus was resurrected and went to heaven. Like, he gave prophets and priests and kings and sacrifices. He gave his only son, like, what else can he give? Like, seriously, what, like, what else is left? Like, is there anything left? Were his plan. Listen, listen, you and me. We're the best he has to offer right now. You and me, like, this is his last piece of the plan. Like, me, you, like, he's saying, my children, like, I've given prophets and priests and kings and sacrifices. I've given my son. He went to the cross. We've had a resurrection. I don't have anything left. We're the plan. When someone looks at your life, do they see the plan of Jesus Christ in you? That's his mission for us, is to light it up in such a way that the world sees the glory of God and says, man, that's what I need. So we take it seriously here at Grace Community Church. You do. And last week, I, I, I read this to you. First John chapter three. It was like, it was such a timing, perfect timing message. I read this to you and it says in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Like, this isn't just like, hey, you should like, Like, that's not like just a good opinion. He says we should do it. In verse 17, John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? 